Hi there, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Well, welcome back. We are well into season four, and I'm so excited to have David Carter on the show today. And David, I know you're in England, and it's always fun navigating different time zones. And and thank you for wanting to be on the show. And I'm just going to start off like I do with all of my guests. Would you tell our listeners the name of your company and why you started your company? And just excited to interview you today. So let's start there. Okay, well, my company's name is Enteleki Academy. And Enteleki is now my favorite ever word. Um, the word was coined by Aristotle two and a half thousand years ago. The entelechy of an acorn is an oak tree. Mm. The entelechy of a caterpillar is a butterfly. And so the entelechy of Deb is the ultimate version of Deb with all of her potential fully actualized. I love that. And Aristotle also coined another phrase, which is that character determines destiny. Mm. And what he meant by that was that we all end up in life wherever we end up as a direct function of our character. Mm. And so Entelechy Academy helps everybody realize their full potential through developing their character. Well, and you're a perfect person to have on the podcast. We we talk about all things heart-centered within leadership and and hence the name that imperfect has a place in our life and our leadership. So I'm going to jump into my leadership questions if you're ready. Yes, of course. You talk a lot about talent crisis. So I, I'm going to lean in and, and start off with a, t- a tough question. Give us your take on the talent crisis. And, and I'm happy for you to talk about this pre-COVID, navigating COVID, post-COVID, Wherever you want to take that, I would love to hear kind of your your take on where we are globally as businesses and as citizens, and, and we really are in a talent crisis. So tell us your thoughts. Um, the last 30 years, in particular, secondary and tertiary education has focused on two things. One is get good grades, you know, at this level get good grades at this level, get into a good university, get a good degree to get a good job. And the emphasis has been on testing and assessing students in mostly STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering, and maths. And what has been missing from the education system for 30 years is all of the things that um, my benefit, my generation benefited from were things like drama and sports and music and debating, where we learned to be in a team, lead a team, critical thinking skills. 
And so all of those things have been eviscerated out of the state education system to save money. And I think people erroneously thought that people turned up with innate human skills, but they needed to be learned and trained just like any other skill. And so what's happened over the last 10 years in particular is that young people leave college or university, leave tertiary or secondary education, go into the workplace, and they don't have the work-ready skills. And so they don't know how to be organized, efficient, reliable, collaborative, creative, and analytical. And so there's been a missing domain that sits under soft skills, which is character. And we spent a year and a half interviewing hundreds and hundreds of HR directors around the world, talking to them about the talent crisis, which has been well written up by McKinsey and PwC and the World Economic Forum and every other, Tom, Dick and Harry. And we said to them, exactly what soft skills do your applicants or employees not have that you need them to have? And to cut a long story short, over a year and a half, we created a 77 soft skills framework that everyone who participated in the research said, that's it. If, if we could get people with those work-ready soft skills, we'd you know, save the day. And what we then explained to them and showed that was that sitting underneath all those soft skills that they wanted were character qualities. And so what would an example be? So one of the top 10 soft skills, workplace skills that employers want is good time management. And so they send people on a day-long course on the benefits of time management, the theory of time management. They all get assessed at the end of the day. They all score 100% in the quiz. So they were assessed on what they were taught, not what they've learned and applied. And, of course, a month later, three months later, the HR department, the training department, go, how come these people's time management skills haven't improved? And they got 100% in the quiz. And the reason is that what was missing from the teaching was learning to be um, accountable, disciplined, organized, reliable, efficient. And so what we do is help people learn to develop the underpinning character qualities of each of the soft skills And we've mapped the 54 character qualities that underpin everything with the 77 in-demand soft skills. And on average, each character quality appears at least a dozen times throughout the seven. So if you learn to be organized, it not only helps you with time management, but it helps you with a dozen other ones as well. And the really interesting thing is, and I can kind of sum up the IntelliKey story in two quick short stories, one is that buyers and enter- enterprise buyers and customers, right? Why has no one ever thought of this before? Um, because those 54 character qualities are exactly what is missing. Uh, you've nailed it. And, and if you could help our people become better at half a dozen of them, our profits would improve, our productivity would improve, they'd get more fulfillment from their work. We'd lose less people, you know, in the first year and churn. And the young people, their number one question is, why weren't we taught this at college? Why weren't we taught this at university? These are clear and obvious human skills that we need in the workplace. And in America and Canada and Europe and India, 
over 50% of young people say when they get to work, they know they're not work ready. And over 75% of employers agree with them. Phenomenal. Phenomenal statistics, isn't it? You know, it is our generation. We we were taught all those wonderful things. I remember art class and drama class and home economics. And, and I remember my kids even saying, I wonder why we're not taught this anymore. And it's like going to a conference and you get that beautiful curriculum and you listen all day and you're all excited and you have this newfound knowledge and it becomes knowledge that sits on the shelf because there's been no practical application. And I'm so lo- I'm so glad that you framed it in that context because the young people have their beautiful degrees or diplomas or whatever you said from the different types of, you know, education that they did do. But it just, it concerns me that that's where we're heading. I think you might have just shared your screen, David. Yes, no, I wanted to put the fifth... Okay. So one of the one of the things I love doing when we're talking to an HR director or a CEO, <clears throat> we love saying to them, um, choose half a dozen character qualities that you know if you could dial up across your organization, it would improve your performance and profitability and productivity and purpose. Mm-hmm. And they go, Oh, definitely you know, disciplined, efficient, organized, reliable, resilient, honest. Uh, oh, how many are we allowed to have? Uh, well, just three or four. Oh, my gosh, there's so many we'd like to have, collaborative. And so they then say this is exactly the skills that these young people need that they haven't left college or university with. And, you know, I'm making it really simple. But if you say to a young person, you know, it's really important in this company to be good at time management, they're like, okay, fine, I get that. But to them, <clears throat> you know, Spending ten minutes every hour on TikTok is 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 really important to them, mm-hmm. and they need to learn that actually you're there for seven hours to work, and you've got a shift to put in and outputs to achieve, and so actually helping them work on being organised such that you know in their coffee break or in their lunch break or whatever they can still check that, but not while they're at they're supposed to be working. So. At the end of the day, going back to the comment that most young people say, why weren't we ever taught this at college? They they look at these and think, I can figure out now that my line manager's good at these, the CEO's good at these, the C-suite's good at these, and if I want to get to the top, I better learn some of these um, because if I don't, I'm going to get left behind. And, you know, one of the things that I love about our business, I love everything about it, but we're using artificial intelligence in our business to develop human intelligence. Mm. And so we're helping people reconnect with their innate humanity um, by using some AI technology. Because going back to Aristotle, we all end up wherever we end up in life as a direct function of our character, whether it's as an employee or a spouse or a parent or a friend or a sibling and so the quality of our life exponentially increases Mm -hmm. if we learn how to consciously dial up our character and one of the most frequently asked questions I get when I do a talk is oh I thought your character was fixed and you know you can't change it well you might not be able to change your birth sign or your Myers-Briggs profile or your color insights profile or mm-hmm. disc profile 
but you can sure as hell improve your performance in any one of those 54 character qualities. And we, as a whole company, as a whole team, we all work on one personal and one professional character quality every week. And you can keep it for another two or three weeks or months if you're still working on it. And one of my favourite stories was a few months ago, we hired a senior salesperson and he chose to work on being disciplined as his professional choice and kind as his personal choice. And at the end of the first week, he said to me, you're not going to believe this. I reckon I've created three to four hours more productivity this week simply by taking my mobile phone and putting it in the kitchen when I'm supposed to be making sales calls. So I'm not distracted by, you know, the pings on my phone of a Slack message or something. And I've got 90 minutes of solid phoning time to reach out to my customers. And then I take a break after 90 minutes, go into the kitchen, check my messages, have 15-minute coffee break, then go back and do another 90 minutes. And he reckoned he'd save three to four hours of productivity just by being that disciplined in that one simple way. But my favourite part of the story, I said, oh, what have you been working on personally? He said, well, you know, I've just had my first grandchild and I've been married a long time and my kids have grown up. And I just decided that I could be more kind. And so without being asked, he took the garbage out, took the dump for a walk at the end of the day before bedtime and did all the things that he knew that his wife had asked him to do as symbols of his love for her over the previous 20 years. And he just got on and did them all. And that Friday evening, after he'd finished his first week of work with us, his wife said, look, we need to sit down and have a very serious talk. She said, I, I, I'm really worried about this new company that, that you joined. Are they giving you drugs or something? <laughs> she said, you've just become the most civilised human being on the planet in the last week. You've done this and this and this. He said, no, I'm trying to be more kind. She said, well, you, you keep on taking the drugs they're giving you. <laughs> isn't, isn't that a great story? It's it's interesting when you give somebody such a healthy, vibrant culture and that what you're offering as a company, you're also doing internally. And it's almost like a self-audit and that practical application we were talking about. So you have to tell us what you're working on. I can't, I can't let you off the hook. Um, well... I've got a number of big plates I'm spinning at the moment, <clears throat> all of which I want to land between now and the end of September. There's probably five really big, whopping, huge plates. And so professionally, I'm working on being very purposeful. Mm. Um, and I've got these. Um, th these are game-changing deals for the company, uh, fundraising and uh, some big strategic partnerships. They will literally transform our business and so I want to be very purposeful. Um, and so I'm conscious about everything I do having to be purposeful. Also, as we chatted before we started the show, this last few days I've become a grandfather for the first time. <clears throat> and so I obviously am super excited about that. And I think I need to be much more kind to myself uh, I, I'm a classic workaholic, you know, I'm at my desk working for at least 12 hours most days, often longer, like this evening. Uh, and I think I do need to 
create some time and space for me to enjoy this wonderful child. Um, my daughter's mother and I went through nine pregnancies to end up with two children. Uh, and so I've been on tender hooks the last six months that my daughter didn't go through the same thing. Um, and thank goodness she didn't. Uh, but now I want to enjoy the excitement. And, you know, and one of the things I was so thrilled with yesterday when they told me finally the name, they've chosen one of my names as the middle name for the child. So, oh, lovely. So I've, I feel actually, you know, all of us in the company, we genuinely pursue our entelechy through the development of our individual and collective character. And the team did a really sweet thing on Sunday and recorded a video for my grandson and Aww. said, well, here's the top character qualities we see in your grandpa um, and here's what we would wish for you to learn from him and here's some character qualities we think are important in life for all young people. And I, I, I cried twice in that, the generosity in, uh, of my teammates. Uh, it was one of the most beautiful gifts I've ever received. But it also made me realise, well, you know, I've set the bar quite high for myself and my colleagues, you know, and I want to be a great grandpa and and help this young person navigate to become their entelechy. Well, I, I love the name. I, I love where it adapts from. And I, I just love the heart-centeredness that you're putting out into the world. I want to ask you another leadership question that has permanent residence on the show. I've asked over 250 leaders this question. Laughter and candor is permitted. What imperfections does David bring to his heart-centered leadership? Because that is what you have created at your company. Well, interestingly enough, I'm doing a 360 on myself at the moment or having my colleagues and friends and family do it. And it's always really interesting to to read that generous 360 feedback. And it's not like there's a theme that everybody thinks I should be like this or that, you know. And, and then you realise, oh, I can see why Amy might say that in terms of my working relationship with her or Kaylin might say this or... Alessandra might say something different, you know, and so I, I understand that. But I think what people often don't understand is their greatest strengths can also be their weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And so I am hyper-organised, hyper-efficient, hyper-reliable. So, you know, let's call it organisation and efficiency. And when I focus on something like if I'm doing a spreadsheet model or writing something important, a bomb could go off beside me and I wouldn't notice. It's just because I'm so focused on what I'm doing. And so I think actually being organised and efficient is my greatest weakness because even, I remember, <laughs> this is an embarrassing story to tell, but I think when my daughter was about 12 or 13, because I brought my children up on my own from when they were seven and three. And she came into my study when she came home from school and I was super busy focused on her spreadsheet or something. And she was telling me about whatever. I clearly wasn't listening or paying attention. And she said, anyway, Dad, on the bus coming home from school today, I got raped and someone stole my purse and, and, and they did this, that and the other. And, 
And after a few minutes, I picked up and I thought, I said, what did you just say? And she said, what is it I've got to say to you to distract you from what you're doing? And I realised it's not that I, I I absolutely adore my daughter, but I can be so hyper-organised and so hyper-focused that it's a weakness as as well as a strength. Mm -hmm. No, I I join you in that when you... When you have that vivid, visionary, intentional level of thinking, that thought leadership, and and you can see out to the end result that you want to achieve, and then you anchor in the moment and get laser focus, I I can relate to that. And it, but I love that you have framed it that you see it as a weakness and a strength, and it's something you can work on. I love that. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch to my Fab Four. Can I can I just add one other quick example? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. So uh, this is always slightly embarrassing and, uh, and humbling to say this, but probably 75, 80% of my 360 respondents think that my greatest strength is being visionary, which is you know, a really lovely compliment. But I think, again, that can be a weakness in that you sometimes miss the now, the today, the, the right in front of you. Yes. Um, because your brain's thinking two or three years down the road. Whereas this person is talking about a decision yes. they're going to make today for tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, valid point. And and a lot of a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs, it's it's really it's an achieved outcome that you have to work at because you need to have that level of thought leadership and intentional thinking. But sometimes you can miss out on some beautiful things if you're not in the present moment. So I'm, that's music to my ears to hear you say that. Sorry. Anyway, I interrupted you. I liked, I liked it. It was good. Okay, my fab four. I'm going to ask you four questions. We want to know what's on the top of that brilliant mind. So whatever pops into your head first is what we want to hear. So my first question is, do you have a leadership word or is there a leadership language, a phrase or a sentence that if you had to audit yourself, what is something you say all the time to your team? Is this our best thinking? Mm, I love that. That's that's a really great question. Reflective question. Okay, my second question is, share with us a book that you've read at any juncture in your life. Why was it impactful? And if you can remember both the name and the author, and how did it make you feel? Yeah. Am I allowed to say my own book? <laughs> You're not allowed to say your own book. We'll put that. We'll we'll put that in the episode description, though. Gosh, there's so many, um, there's so many. If I had to choose one, it would probably be a book. Um, gosh, I'm tossing up between two. No, probably it would be *Sapiens* by uh, Harari. I I don't read. Uh, fiction at all i never have done since i left school but he wrote the the history of humanity and it was like a novel it was so exciting and it's a big thick book um Mm -hmm. and every time i got to the end of the chapter i thought oh maybe one more chapter before bed and so i had several half past one two o'clock go to bedtime um i couldn't put it out and it's the only book i've ever finished and then gone right back to the beginning and read again you know, sometimes you see a movie and you loved it, and then a year later you think, oh, I'm going to watch Love Actually again. 
Um, and then you see things the second time that you didn't see the first time. And then actually, with Love Actually, I've probably watched it 23 times over the years. You still pick things up or remember things that you... Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that book, to me, helped me understand humanity and the evolution of humanity and a lot of the drivers in the world. Um, so that was probably a transformational book for me. I like that. Okay, third question. I'll give you some context first. I'm granting you a wish, and you get to have dinner with a leader, and this leader could be living or maybe they've passed away. Who are you having dinner with, and what is the dinner conversation? That's actually quite an easy one for me. I have been a complete devotee and fan and have read everything and watched everything um, in the last three or four years, the work of Dr. David E. Martin. And he has got a brain the size of a planet, And but he's so articulate in his delivery and he, he makes the most complex topics seem easily understandable by the average person. He, he's a genius. And literally... Three weeks ago, a, a friend of mine who lives in Thailand and I were having a Zoom call and a catch-up, and we ended up talking about Entelechy and character and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I said, have you ever seen, uh, you know, the video by David Martin on this? He said, yes, I actually watched it in his home with him a few months ago when I was over visiting him and Kim, his wife. And I said, oh, do you know him? Yes, we've been friends for 30 years. I said, oh, my God, I've read everything and watched everything in the... And he said, oh, would you like an introduction? And I was like, oh, gosh, yes, please. And anyway, literally the next day, I get an email from Dr. David E. Farsid, my Uber hero, inviting me to a Zoom call for half an hour on the Friday afternoon. And we ended up on the phone for an hour and 40 minutes. And right at the very end, I said, I'm now going to change my answer to that question about who would you like to invite for dinner? <laughs> And I'd like. Isn't that interesting? I've never had anybody meet or or had that happen. That's amazing. I love that. And you know what else I love is I had a similar introduction to somebody on the podcast who knew somebody that I wanted to meet. And the gentleman said, I only can give you 30 minutes. And like you and Dr. David Martin, we were on the phone for over an hour and a half. But I mean, to for him to hear that you had read all his work and that uh, those are those little nuances in life where it makes all the hard work and the visionary leadership kind of come to fruition. It's just, it's so special. I love that. I would also uh, love to have dinner with my Maori auntie who sadly passed away a number of years ago. My auntie Winnie, and underneath mm-hmm. my desk at the moment is Winnie the Black Lab, and so I named. And she was an amazing story, and she's the greatest leader I've ever met in my life. Um, <laughs> when she was dying of cancer, literally 1,200 people came to her home to pay their respects in the married tradition. Wow. And these were chief executives of the Bank of New Zealand, the Minister of Justice... And she was a kindergarten reception class teacher throughout her entire career. And all these people came to respect 
pay their respects to someone. And if you define leadership as the number of followers you've got, she was clearly the most influential leader that all of the leaders of that country had ever met. And she was the most humble, kind, caring, thoughtful person who was devoted to her work to help young people to love to learn. Lovely. So she was a real inspiration to me. Lovely. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to to close out the show by finishing a sentence for me. Sure. Uh, before I do that, I just want to say it was so delightful to meet you. I, I had read your bio and looked at the work you're doing, and you were just such a great person to have on the podcast to talk about all the heart-centered work that you're doing, because all those characters certainly align with heart-centered leadership. So grateful for your time. Thank you for working late for us today. And I'll ask you to finish this sentence. Heart-centered leadership is... The only leadership style that counts. Thanks so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. If you like the show, feel free to give us a rating and a review, and we always welcome your feedback anytime. Looking to master the art of heart? Head over to our website at debcrow.com and watch out for Deb's new book, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook, coming in September. 